Halito, and welcome to Native Chalk Talk, a podcast by Natives for all. Here, we're keeping our Native ancestors' stories and history alive, while also sharing with you our Native cultures, traditions, and more. I'm Rachel Youngman, a Choctaw originally from Anadarko, Oklahoma. I hope you'll enjoy this journey with me as we learn from our Native American guests. And stay tuned for the end of each episode, where we'll talk about some great ways to support Native causes and or Native-owned businesses. Let's get started. Potential is everywhere in the Choctaw people. It's in our schools and students. It's in our small businesses and entrepreneurs. Potential is in our lifestyle and health. It's in our culture and heritage. Passion and commitment is in our blood. Ingenuity and economy are a tradition. And the Chutha Foundation was founded for this potential. To cultivate minds and hearts, to stimulate ideas and passions, to extend lives and improve health through education, and to preserve and promote the power of our past. The Chutha Foundation, meeting the potential of the Choctaw people. Y'all may remember Jim Gray, former chief of the Osage Nation, who I had an incredible interview with in season two. So he recently reached out to me and gave this glowing recommendation of a gal I just had to meet. And when Jim Gray says, reach out to this person, you reach out to that person. So anyway, and now I'm truly grateful for this connection that I have with one extremely intelligent and hardworking woman. Folks, I'd like for you to meet my Cherokee guest today, Lacey Horn. Lacey, welcome. Hello, Rachel, and thank you so much for having me and Osio Nagata. Hello, everyone. I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And I know you're a busy gal, so I was really lucky to get on your calendar today. So listeners, and especially women and Native women out there, I'd be surprised if you don't walk away truly inspired from today's conversation. Lacey, I'm going to brag on you for just a minute so our listeners can hear about your background. So here goes. Lacey started out her education at Southern Methodist University for her bachelor's degree in financial consulting, followed by her master's in accounting. She worked for four years in Chicago at KPMG, a $10 billion accounting and professional services firm, and was selected as the Chicago representative for the KPMG Midwest Audit Senior Associate Council. She also was proud to serve her Cherokee Nation as treasurer or chief financial officer for over seven years, overseeing a $1.2 billion annual budget and receiving eight excellence in financial reporting awards from the GFOA. While there, Lacey also authored two pieces of legislation, one modernized the nation's banking code and the second created the Cherokee Nation Sovereign Wealth Fund. She also founded the Native Opportunity Zone Fund, which was merged with a larger Opportunity Zone Fund to invest in Indian country opportunities at greater scale. But Lacey was not done yet. She then went on in 2019 to create Native Advisory LLC, and we'll talk more about that in just a bit. 
Lacey continues to give back by volunteering her expertise and time on boards and advisory committees that advance efforts in Indian country, such as the Native American Rights Fund and the Smithsonian NMAI. She does public speaking around best practices and helping tribes obtain clean audits and advocates for true tribal sovereignty. Wow, Lacey, how do you do it all? <laughs> Very organized to-do lists uh, and a lot of help and faith. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's funny because you and I talked earlier about how we both kind of have that organizer gene. So I knew we were going to be friends from day one. So I don't know how you could do it without being organized. Yeah. Like I said, my to-do lists are pretty epic and I've, I've got <laughs> defined goals, right? You know, so I mean, I right. know where I'm going. So, you know, everything on my to-do list is pretty strategic about what I'm actually trying to do. I bet. And it probably, it just has to be, do you ever finish your to-do list? I do. And I always celebrate and I, and then when I have to do a new to-do list, you know, mm -hmm. I've got carryover things, um, it's an exercise in getting those done first. So it's, it's pretty amazing. I've had notebooks for years that have <laughs> all my to-do Right. And, and it does show this, this very structured progression to hmm. uh, where I am today. Yeah. And it's funny how everybody has their own like way of doing things, whether in business or personal, um, even in just the running of their home. And for you, it's notebooks. For me, it's, it's like a list on my phone and my to-do list. Um, so then it's always with me, but that's bad because it's always with me. So, <laughs> so I personally currently live in two States, Illinois and Oklahoma, and you used to live in Illinois and you currently live in Oklahoma. So we have that in common and you're also a CPA in both Illinois and Oklahoma, correct? I am. So my first job after my accounting master's that I did in Dallas was with KPMG in Chicago. And so that's where I set for the CPA exam. And then Oklahoma was nice enough when I moved back home to uh, give me the license reciprocity. So oh, nice. I, I, I mean, there's nothing better than Chicago. I just love Chicago. And, it's a great uh, city, isn't it? I mean, even with great. everything going on, you can't help but love it. Exactly. You know, it's just a totally different world, Chicago versus here in Oklahoma. And I'm, I love that you get to have that dual life experience. It's kind of crazy, but yeah, it, it's definitely two different mindsets, the crazy yes. fast pace up here. And then you go to Oklahoma and you're like, oh, okay, I can breathe for a minute. You know, um, even though I know that you're super busy, so you probably don't have a lot of those, uh, moments, but so tell us about your family. And by the way, now's a great time to give a shout out to Jerry and your son, husband, Jerry, and my son, Jack Kelly, we live in Sequoia <laughs> County in the southernmost part of the Cherokee nation. And we have one dog uh, named Willie. Oh, and what kind of dog is Willie? He's a Cavalier King Charles, 14 pounds. I oh, love it. So he's little and he's sweet. And yeah, we're, we're here around family. So both my parents and Jerry's parents live here and my sister lives here and her kids. And we both on both sides of our family go back many generations in this area. So this is home. This is where we're rooted. And this is, uh, this is our place. Absolutely. And I bet it's really beautiful in that, that part of the state too. So is Jerry as organized as you are putting you on the spot? <laughs> Jerry can get a lot done. I, he, I wouldn't say he's as to to-do list driven as I am, but Jerry always follows through. 
that's awesome. Thank you, Jerry, for following yes. through. <laughs> I think he'd get along well with my husband too. Cause same thing. It's like, again, my husband's not a list person either, but when he knows something needs to get done, it gets done. And I love that because he can do all those things that I can't seem to do, or don't want to try to figure out how to do, <laughs> but <laughs> Um, well, great. So <clears throat> Sequoia County in Oklahoma is the area where you live. And uh, do you have a, a home office? Because you obviously are the CEO of your own company. Uh, or, you know, do you guys have an office somewhere? Or are you working from home? Working from home, have a home office. And I, um, I would like to say that I office anywhere that I am. And I move my home office within my home a lot so that I love get it. <laughs> so I have, I, and I have a place where I sit outside and it's cool in the mornings. I'm working, listening to the birds. Sometimes I'll take a Zoom call out there, depending on how how nice the weather is and if the bugs are out. But um, I like to get that that difference of perspective from a different location, and it helps me open my brain up to thinking differently about something that I'm working on. So, yeah, I'm I'm working wherever I am. Definitely. And that's the great thing about being a remote worker is that you really can bring your office wherever you're going, as long as you have your laptop with you and your notebook. Um, but I think that is a good tip for people who work from home, either as a product of um, the COVID and it, how it changed a lot of companies, or if you're just starting to work from home, that's a great tip about moving around your house. So you're not uh, feeling stale. That's so, right. Mm-hmm. So I too am a business owner and I also have a full-time job in software sales. So I definitely struggle to find a balance to give my attention to the most important people in my life. And I'm sure every woman listening today can relate, but I once asked you, knowing you're a mom and a CEO and you volunteer time and do speaking engagements, you know, how in the world do you do it all? And you responded that you like to drink coffee. <laughs> That's right. I assume that's caffeinated coffee, right? It is. I very much like coffee. I, I just like everything about it, like the taste. And sometimes I have to kick the coffee habit to the curb for a few months <laughs> or a year. You know, coffee and I, I like to say, you know, we break up here and there and go back <laughs> together. <laughs> but, but it is a good tip. Moms, do you want to know how to be the CEO of your company and stay organized? You drink coffee. <laughs> I will also say, you know, magnesium um, is really good for me in the morning with lemon water. So like a hot lemon water and magnesium can have the same impact. So when I coffee and I break up, then I switch to that. And it's a little bit more of a healthier alternative. Fantastic. We're getting all kinds of tips and tricks here. For me, it's Dr. Pepper, a lot less healthy than a lemon water, but um, not in the morning though, but I too break up with Dr. Pepper every now and then, and then we get back together. So, so tell us more about your company, Native Advisory, and the good things that you're doing there. We are a strategic and financial advisory firm working with tribes all over the country. And, you know, whenever I was at Cherokee, I traveled constantly and I was either traveling out of state or just back and forth to Tahlequah, Oklahoma. And so my body and my mind was constantly in motion. Mm. And so after my time as treasurer at Cherokee Nation was complete, you know, I knew that in my next life that I needed to keep my body more grounded in one place so that I could first and foremost be with my son and my family and that my mind could stay in motion and I continue to volunteer and teach and keep that as a formal commitment but I wouldn't travel unless it was for a strategic necessary purpose. Mm 
Mm. And so, you know, with Native Advisory, you know, we are a virtual consultancy. We we help tribes achieve what I call true tribal sovereignty. You know, there's this conversation about tribal sovereignty, but what is actual true tribal sovereignty? And what does that mean? What does that look like? And so, you know, we've had a real uh, shift, you know, with COVID and with the funding streams, because that's obviously the angle that I come from is from, you know, how do you make money? How do you save money? How do you spend money in this instance? And helping tribes be really strategic about all of those things that they need in order to advance their true tribal sovereignty. So that looks like, you know, massive investments in healthcare and mm. citizen resilience in economic preservation, technological advancements, food sovereignty, you know, we're looking at the, the whole of the tribe and how can they create these systems that they can use to rely on themselves versus relying on external systems that quite frankly, just weren't built for us. Right. Absolutely. It's a whole different animal. And I never really thought about that when it comes to what you're doing out there. I think you hit a good point as well, that we hear sovereignty all the time. And what does it mean? I, a lot of times think of it from a legal jurisdiction perspective, but there's all these other perspectives out there. Very interesting. Yeah. So, you know, our sovereignty is is about personal sovereignty too. It's about the personal freedoms that we enjoy as individual tribal citizens. Mm. And when a tribe enhances their sovereignty, they should be enhancing the quality of life for their individual citizens and, and in general, the tribe's resiliency for the long term. Absolutely. And honestly, you've done so much since the inception of your company in 2019. So tell us about some of those victories along the way. Feel free to brag. We really want people to see how inspiring the work is that you've done. So since 2019, so I, you know, when we started the firm in 2019, it was with this vision for a virtual consultancy, which was very prescient for the year that would come forward in 2020. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize that we would be dealing with a pandemic and all the economic fallout that would result from that pandemic. But I'm so proud of how my clients have used their CARES Act money, their American Rescue Plan Act money to create those ways to care for their citizens and help to insulate their people from the economic harm that they were experiencing, as well as the effects of COVID-19. You know, they were working to preserve their culture. They were preserving their language. And those resulted in actual tangible outcomes and things that came out of a really bad time. And when we look at saving languages and we look at saving cultural aspects of, of what we do in the face of a crisis where we're losing elders and we're losing speakers, that the things that they did in 2020 and 2021 will be things that future generations will look back and be so glad that they did. The tribes that I work with know what they want. They know what they need. And that's my job is to help them figure out a way to pay for that. Fantastic. Yeah. And I, I, again, it's, it's a niche that I hadn't thought about and it's good to know I'd want you on my side if I were, you know, a tribe looking for that kind of hub of 
here's who we go to when we have an idea and we really need to see it come to fruition on the financial side. And I'd say you've been pretty busy. <laughs> you were Native American Finance Officers Association's Executive of the Year in 2014, bravo. And in 2012, you were named to Oklahoma Magazine's 40 Under 40 list. You've been quoted in the Wall Street Journal, interviewed on NPR, guest blogged for the AICPA, and were the cover feature for December 2018's Native Business Magazine. So... Seriously, I do have to come back to how you've been able to balance it all. So why don't you tell us the story about how being a mom and the timing of COVID led to the creation of your company and a fruitful way to find that balance? Right. When I started at Cherokee back in 2011, my son was just a baby. And so, you know, during the time that I was there during those seven and a half years, I was just gone a lot. And so my business needed to be created around the initial concept that I was going to be with my son first and foremost. Mm -hmm. uh, the second aspect of that was, was that I am here in rural Oklahoma and how was I going to find meaningful work that was going to um, enable me to take care of my family in the way that someone with the level of degrees and experiences and background that I have um, could do. And so I knew that those roles, you know, don't exist unless I want to move to Dallas or if I want to move to Bentonville, Arkansas, or somewhere or be on a be on a plane every right. single week. And so if I wanted to live my gifts, which I feel is what I do, is I had to create it for myself. And so for me, it started with the fact of family and place. And that no one was going to come in to save me with some miraculous job offer that was going to enable <laughs> right. me to, to have family in place at the same time. So I needed to do it myself. That is awesome. And that's one of the many surprisingly good things that came out of the pandemic was people kind of reevaluating what's important to them. And for you, it was being able to be with your son and have that control over your own life and your own time and all that. And so what's really cool, I think too, is that you're conducting most of your business via Zoom, correct? Yeah. Zoom, Teams, WebEx, yeah. the platform, <laughs> right. um, good old fashioned phone call and email. Yes, it is. It, 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 we, we are compatible on every single platform. Totally. And so your, your son is in school. So what do you do during the summer months to still be able to keep up? I guess during the, the school months, it's a lot easier to know you have a certain amount of hours of, you know, totally concentrated time. What do you do in the summer? Yeah. So in the summer, it's been kind of interesting because I have this belief that he's going to hang around here at the house a lot more <laughs> and he's not, he's over at his granny and papa's Dang you know, it. He's, with, he's with family, you know, That's good. and, and I know it is. And, you know, I, I like that he gets to spend so much time with his grandparents and that they're so available and accessible to him. And I, I had this realization the other day that, oh, you know, this is his normal, you know, this is what he did. You know, the first eight years of his life was right. spent summers out of school with granny and papa he would be there that's that's his summer routine right is, is he would be there eight to five anyway waiting for you know jerry or right to get off work and so he's just 
you know, living what he knows. He's just doing his thing. Yeah. (laughs) That's great though. I mean, this sounds ideal. Um, I hope it also inspires others to think about ways that we can still be a parent and still be able to put food on the table and, and maybe even have our own control over our own businesses, our own lives, our own schedules. So you once mentioned to me that owning your own company comes with its perks. What would you say are some of those perks? Number one, just as I said earlier, it's, it's getting to live my gifts. You know, this is who I am. This is what I know. This is what I do. You know, to me, that is so fulfilling and I check every box. And so right. <laughs> it just is, um, it's, it's just, it's just a wonderful place to be in, in a, in a feeling that I could not duplicate anywhere else. Um, obviously the creating my own schedule, you know, is great because when I do have a big gap in my schedule, that's when I'll disrupt my son's schedule and say, okay, let's go swim. Let's go do something. Let's get out of town, whatever that might be. Yes. And so that is gold because that's time that I get to spend with him making those memories that he'll remember forever. Absolutely. And picking ideal clients. I only choose work and tribal clients that um, I feel like I can help them get the results that they want to get, you know, their projects that I care about, you know, that, that there's going to be a really good fit here in a good working relationship. And so, you know, to me, that's a, that's a huge perk. And then just overall, you know, the, the excitement of, you know, charting our own course as a company and, you know, while having a strategy, you know, is important, but also being open to the fun and the cool things that come our way. That is really a huge perk too, just, just to get to see, you know, what opportunities and, and um, asks come our way for support and whatever is going on in Indian country. For sure. And it's got to be empowering as well. Just knowing, Hey, I've worked really hard for this. And that's something I don't want to leave out is that, and we'll talk about this in a second for our listeners nothing was handed over to Lacey. She spent many years working extremely hard, even in downtown Chicago, you know, all of those things that has led her to where she is now was not given to her. So I think we'll talk about that in a second. But on the other hand, when we're talking about the perks that you've seen along the way, running your own company isn't easy either. So tell us about some of those pitfalls and learning experiences you've had along the way. Yeah, no question. I have struggled. (laughs) It has not (laughs) been easy and learned a lot of lessons because it's a whole different mindset when you're, Mm -hmm. when you're running your own business versus being an employee and the different skill sets that you have to have. I mean, as an employee, um, particularly in finance accounting, you probably don't know sales, um, you know, it's different managing a team as business owner versus yes. <laughs> and as an employee, you know, planning for growth and pivoting, um, you know, and, and then when you do make mistakes, uh, yeah, it's that great responsibility that comes with the actual responsibility of owning up to the fact that, yeah, that was a mistake. Um, and then, you know, uh, so one story is the, the story that I was telling you earlier about the fact of running my own ads. Right. Tell that story. Yeah. (laughs) Cracking up. (laughs) So, you know, one of the things that I've always done since 
starting my own business is, is to have a coach. You know, I grew up in you know, athletics and played a lot of basketball and I was in swimming. And so, you know, I've just always had coaches in my life and mm -hmm. someone helping me that knew more about the sport or whatever it was that I was trying to do. And so I've always invested in having really smart coaches help support me on this journey and fill in the gaps of the things that I know that I don't know. Mm -hmm. And so I had a really uh, big aha moment with one of my coaches recently when I was telling her about running some Facebook ads and how I had started them. I was running them. And then I just decided to stop because I got scared, right? Because on Facebook, at, you know, you're spending money and you're like, ah, nothing's happening. And right. so, <laughs> so I, I killed it. And I was telling her about it. And she got really stri strict and direct with me and said, listen, you are CEO of this company. You know, you're on board, Lacey. You know what it's like. It, you know, the CEO uh, comes to you and says, I'm going to kill the ads and marketing budget. And you're going to ask the question, why did you do that? You know, right. who, you know <laughs> why did you, why did you turn off those ads? And if that CEO came to you and said, oh, we got scared or, oh, we uh, didn't know what we were doing, then you're going to have a real challenge with keeping that CEO on as CEO. So um, yeah, I think that that realization <laughs> of, of realizing that like, yeah, it, it does um, begin and end with me. And so I am not going to operate my company in, in a way that I wouldn't operate um, another company, right? right, I, I, right. Need, I need to act in integrity here. So yeah, I've, I've definitely learned, learned lessons the hard way, but, but absolutely had a coach in, in my face and in my space to help me see that blind spot. I, God bless those people too, that do give it to you straight and are able to help you see things from a different perspective and not live in fear, try to make good sound business decisions, but also you got to have a little bit of risk in you to start your own company and run it. But it, it is true though, isn't it? It's like, wait, who did that? Oh yeah, I did it. <laughs> I'm the CEO. I turned off the ads. Okay, wait. <laughs> It's totally funny. Yeah, um, we have to we have to get out of our own way sometimes. Yes. <laughs> right. And listen to the, I mean, you've obviously hired people that you trust. And um, and if you find out otherwise, that's another story. But there's a reason they're in place and they've they're there to support you as well. Um, the people who really help hold up your company with you. I I just am so grateful for people like that as well. So I like how your website states, we specialize in strategic and financial advisory to tribal leaders so that they can be financially forward thinking to serve their people and invest for seven generations and beyond. So to find out more information about Native Advisory, dear listeners, go to nativeadvisory.com. So Lacey, I don't assume that you just woke up at the age of 18 and said, hey, I'm going to be successful. So tell us about your journey to get to where you are today. What motivated you? What made you want to rise up and do what you've done? Yeah, that's a really great question. And I guess it starts with my mom and I watched her. She's a nurse practitioner and she has spent, she spent her career working for Indian Health Service and Cherokee Nation. And, you know, we all learn at the dinner table from our parents what their 
bringing home and talking about. And mm-hmm. mom was one of those career women that could work a day job. And then she made dinner. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, I mean, like that's, God you know, wow. you know, I mean, that's, that's such a, such a unique thing these days. Yeah, it is. Isn't there's it? a lot of women who do it, but I, I'm not one of them, you know, me I mean, neither. <laughs> How did our moms do it? I don't know. Yeah. Thank goodness for COVID and and helping me find the instant pot. Uh, (laughs) Here's a plug for instant pot. Thank you. Do you have a few key instant pot recipes under my belt? Nice. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, my mom uh, was working for the tribe whenever, you know, I was a young girl. And I think some of my earliest impressions of her struggles as a Cherokee Nation employee that in the late 80s, early 90s was really dealing with a lack of resources. I mean, really dealing with a lack of resources. Oh, I bet. You know, she was seeing patients that like women, for example, because mom's always been involved in women's health care that had visible breast cancer, that she had no ability to diagnose, let more or less treat these women. And, you know, these are very, you know, shocking, disturbing things, particularly when you're working in tribal healthcare and it's a small world and you know people and these are your friends and your family. And, and it just really upset her. And I could tell how passionate she was at her job, how good she was at her job. You know, I mean, we were always having people come to our house or call our phone in the middle of the night. And, wow. you know, mom was always so gracious and, you know, she would get in the ambulance and ride to the hospital. People. And, you know, wow. I, I think my earliest impression, you know, seeing my mother struggle with her inability to really take care of people led me somewhere in my core to think, I want to help my mom help these people, you know, these yeah. women that she's seeing, you know, I mean, and, and these are, these are Cherokees, you know, these are Cherokee women, you know, and my mom's trying to do her best, but she can't do her best. And, you know, I was always good with money and had a, had a Cherokee grandmother that was very instrumental in helping me learn all about money and give hmm. me, gave me a lot of experience in money. And then, you know, I went to college and obviously studied for financial consulting and accounting and that, all that. And I just had in my mind, you know, at some point I'm going to go work for my tribe. You know, I didn't know, you know, how or in what way that would take shape. But when the opportunity arose, you know, I stepped into it and I really tried to maximize every moment that I had in that role, knowing that it was a temporary reality, knowing that I had Mm. a limited amount of time to make a positive change that would last. And so, I think, you know, building from, from that as a young girl to a young woman and into now I'm able to take those successes that we had at Cherokee and either replicate those with other tribes or to create entirely new successes with other tribes that wouldn't be possible, you know, without, without some financial vision behind it. And so I'm just grateful, like that tribes trust me to do this, that, that I, that I have that trust and that they know that I'm going to be a voice that is always going to give them the highest and best advice that has integrity, right? There's a lot Mm -hmm. of, a lot of financial advisors that just strictly, you know, don't have integrity, but you know, I, 
And even, even when I'm not the right fit, you know, and they want to hire me, you know, I will tell them, you know, I am not the fit for you. You know, here's someone else that can do this. Um, because I, um, think that when it comes to spending money and it, when it comes to those fiduciary type decisions that the, the tribes need, they need someone in their corner that is absolutely 100% going to have their interests in mind. When you're talking, I just feel like you feel this stuff in your gut and it does come from a place of passion. And it's interesting, the line that you can draw from your mom being a nurse and you're helping with the financial part of things for the tribe so that they can find that money to help those, you know, Indian hospitals that are helping um, those Cherokee women that have breast cancer, for instance, or whatever the case. It's interesting that line that you can draw from your mom to where yeah. you're today. And also, <laughs> sorry, go ahead. I have the full circle moment too, because whenever I was at Cherokee, my mom was at Cherokee and we endeavored upon a massive multi-hundred million dollar expansion of the Cherokee Nation healthcare system. And my mom was working there and I got to see my mom's clinic expanded. I got to see her get a new office. Wow. I got to see her have more financial resources. And so in, a, in, in my own way, right? I, there wasn't like a, like one moment or like an aha, but it was just this like over time realization that's like, oh, like I did help my mom. You did. And if that isn't a goosebump moment, I don't know what is. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And I, I do love that, that she was still in nursing. She was still working there and you got to come in there and help with some things that really, I'm sure she was like, wow, look at this new space. This is amazing. Yeah. And I don't think any of us thought that I had visioned that and planned that back in the early nineties. Right. Right. But it just goes to show you follow what you're good at, what your hopes are, your dreams, all that again, partnered with hard work, because I think sometimes we get in our heads. Oh, if you have a dream, it'll just happen. No, it doesn't just happen. You also have to work for it, but you liked money. You liked numbers and your grandmother helped you, which is also a, a big, nice um, tribute to your grandma. And it really like turned around to help tribes with healthcare, you know, like who would have ever thought so pretty neat. I love this story. Thank so you. something we talked about before that I'm also a big fan of, you mentioned having a coach or a mentor throughout your career. So tell us about your mentor when you were at KPMG. This is a really special story about a very special woman and it's, it's Kathy Hannon and she is Ho-Chunk. And whenever I first started at KPMG, they had a very organized women's networking circuit that they did and they would often have lunches and they would have speakers come in. And, you know, I had grown up seeing my aunts and my, my mother was friends with Wilma Mankiller. And I had other women that I looked up to growing up that I thought were very special and that had, um, a lot of things that I aspired to be mm -hmm. at the same time. I never knew anybody that was in my field. And when I was at one of these events very early on at KPMG, they had Kathy Hannon speak and Kathy was, I mean, top of the top in leadership at KPMG in Chicago. She was a really big deal. Which is shocking. So you've got a native woman, a, na a native person, much less a woman at that level. So that had to have been inspiring for you. 
huge. And when she revealed that she was Native American, it was like all the synopses in my brain started firing off because <laughs> I had finally found someone that I could sort of like anchor to, right? That's like, totally. this is a woman who is not only in my field, but she's at the tippy tippy top. And I knew that because she had done it, right? That I could do it. Totally. You know, I think that everyone needs that. And, you know, that particularly for women, you know, as we look to break glass ceilings and as we look to charting our own path, that when we see a role model and someone that is doing the thing that we want to do or has the qualities that we want to have, or both, that all of a sudden things can make a whole lot more sense in our life. And that's what Kathy did for me. Very true. Thank you, Kathy. Yes. That, that is wonderful. And did you approach her about becoming a mentor or did it just kind of naturally happen? Oh, I did. As soon as she was done speaking, I was like a moth to a flame. Like, <laughs> right. hey, it's me, Lacey. Hello. Hi. I'm your biggest yes. fan. Uh-huh. And she was so gracious. She immediately invited me to her office, you know, for a meeting Wow. the next few days. I mean, she sat me down, she spent time with me. I mean, it was, and then she's just continued that, you know, through, throughout my career to, to check on me and she wow. knows the path that I'm on. It's just really, it's, it, it is truly an inspirational story to see, you know, how she continually lifts me up. She lifts other natives up. I mean, that's who we all need to be, right? Yes. Are those are those natives in this world, particularly in corporate world, in in nonprofit world, in in all the worlds, right? Mm-hmm. That we need to be trying to uplift as much as we can. Absolutely. And again, the fact that in Chicago of all places, there were two Native American women at the same company. Do you think you gals were the only two Native Americans there in the company, or at least in that office? I don't know the answer to that, but I certainly didn't meet anyone else that was from a tribe there. Yeah, absolutely. And when you said we need to support each other, whether it's in nonprofit or we're in the corporate world or, or even just two moms or two dads, whatever it is, you know, it's, it really is important for us to support each other when we do find each other. And it's kind of a, a fun thing when we do. Uh, I call in a lot of corporations in my sales job, and I rarely, rarely ever meet other American Indians, especially females. So you really hit the jackpot there with a fantastic mentor. And I think a sensitive topic, uh, but something our Native community struggles with is sometimes taking charge of our lives. And that can be for any community, but trying to find a way to get around the bad circumstances or excuses that may stand in our way. So I found our last conversation to be inspirational. It was your take about the role we used to play in pre-colonial days and our designed purpose. So if you can recreate that conversation again, tell us more about your take on that. When I read texts about how Cherokees lived and operated in pre-colonial life, um, it talks a lot about what I've, and I can't take credit for this term, um, I, the workforce society, right. It was about how we were all uniquely endowed with a set of gifts that helped fit into the larger puzzle of who we were as a community, as a society, as, as a tribe. And 
and that's such a truth, right? If we look at what our individual strengths and weaknesses are, and if others look at their own individual strengths and weaknesses, and we are able to have really honest conversations about what those are, then we can find those ways to sort of fit the puzzle together to say like, okay, I'll handle this, you handle that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's just how pre-colonial Cherokee life seemed to me, you know, whenever I read these stories. And so I think we can still replicate that today and that we can know who ourselves. So I think it first starts about, you know, educating ourselves about who we are and, and doing those deep dives as to, you know, what are we good at? What are we not good at? What do we like, not like? And in, in being that, because we are here in 2022 at this place and this time to serve a purpose. And our elders went through extreme circumstances and situations with mostly terrible choices to make. Yes. And we can't be complacent about that. We can't waste opportunities and we can't uh, waste the gifts that we've been given because every one of us has gifts. Absolutely. And so, you know, we talked earlier about how, you know, this kind of conversation can be inspiring But at the same time, taking it even one step further, as you said, don't waste those opportunities. Like our ancestors came through so much, went through so much. And so now we have this chance to do big things. And in Indian country, as you know, there's no better time. All these interesting things are happening. We're getting more attention. Um, We're able to make more difference in the world. And so let's not waste these opportunities. And I feel like you're a great example of that because you've taken the bull by the horns in life. And so I hope we'll take all of these words to heart. It's easy to look at someone's success and assume it was given to them. As I mentioned earlier, you've worked hard. You've made choices in life that brought you here. So I don't want anyone to look at your situation and just make assumptions. Nope, plain and simple, you've earned it. And instead of looking at your success and trying to tear it down or make excuses, let's learn from folks like yourself as to how we can also achieve that success. And that's why I wanted to have this conversation with you today, especially for our Native American women out there. So let's switch gears here just a bit. I'd love to hear more about the Cherokee Nation. It's certainly a well-known tribe, but I want our listeners to hear from you about Cherokee history or culture or traditions, anything you want to share from your perspective. So please do share. I'm a citizen of the Cherokee Nation, which is based here in Northeastern Oklahoma. And we are the largest federally recognized tribe and one of three federally recognized tribes of Cherokee Cherokee people. You know, we're on the Eastern seaboard, uh, pre-colonial days. So, you know, some of the first of the tribes to meet colonists and, my family was from the Georgia area. Okay. And so do you know how your family, did they come over from the remote during the removal from Georgia into Indian territory, now Oklahoma, or do you know much about that part of your history? Yeah, both. So I had some of my family come over, uh, as an old settler, so pre-Trail of Tears, and then I have family that came over on the Trail of Tears, so both. Um, three of my four grandparents are Cherokee, and so uh, there's multiple lineages within those three different grandparents, 
And yeah, my mother has written me some beautiful pages of notes on oh, nice. a couple of ancestors and her, her lovely handwriting in, in pink ink. And so <laughs> Thank I got, you, a, I got a couple Mom. of stories. Yes. <laughs> Please give her a shout out for me. Okay. <laughs> yes. Thanks, mom. Thanks, Elise. So thanks to Elise, your mama, for putting together some information for us today. Because, you know, this is a great way for us all to preserve your ancestor's story or history or whatever you're about to share so that your son and hopefully his kids someday can can hear this in your voice. So, yeah, let, let's hear it. What do you have? My, and I'm, and I'm not very good at telling ancestral stories, so I'm just going to say a great grandmother. I don't, I haven't done the math to count how many grades. Okay. That's fine. She, she was the daughter of Okana and her name was Lisi Groundhog. And she was born in Cardacay in along Licklog Creek. And I actually have a map of is- where this was in present day Georgia. Okay. Gotcha. Wow. I wish I could see your map. If you want to take a picture and send it to me, I'll be sure to post it with this episode. Absolutely. Tragically, you know, Lisi and her sister Quady, along with other family were removed from their home to be placed in stockades to await forced removal to CN West. And then while in the stockade, they were exposed to weather, sickness, starvation, and physical abuse from Mm. the soldiers. And the family was not allowed to take any supplies or clothing from their home. The government did not provide for the long winter journey. And so along the Trail of Tears, Lisi, she was age 12. She lost her family one by one by one until she was the only family member to survive. And she walked alone the distance from Georgia to Flint District, Indian Territory. Wow. And so at the age of 17, she married a great grandfather of mine, Joseph Taylor from Georgia. He didn't come to Indian Territory via the Trail of Tears, but he followed behind. And they had five children with the youngest of them being my um, great grandfather, John Taylor. And he was orphaned around the age of 12. And then he was raised by the Caleb Starr family. And then he owned a general store and the government decided that he needed to be audited to make sure that a full blood could run a business. Hmm. The man who performed the audit stole money and misinformed the audit and everything that he had worked for was taken away. Oh my gosh. Two steps forward, three steps back. Yeah. So that's, that's my mother's um, side. And, you know, I've asked her, you know, to sort of give me her thoughts, mm-hmm. you know, about, about this. And she said that we're survivors, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you think about these young children being orphaned and how they persevered, you know, how, how, a 12 year old. I mean, my son is almost 12, you know, that's what I was I thinking mean, too. Can you imagine <laughs> your 11 year old son or 12 walking over a thousand miles? Yeah. Being put into a stockade and hmm. removed from a home where you can't take anything, Wow. you know, and then, and then just, you know, there was just this, this history of, of being, 
you know, orphaned and, and left alone and how they continue to make their way. And what, so, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but what in the world did she do once she got to Indian territory? You know, you've got this orphan child and 12 years old. Yeah. So it seems in this account uh, that my mother has researched that and written out for me that uh, between the ages of 12 and 17, I don't really have a lot of information. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. You can imagine. I, I mean, it, it probably was a situation where she may have gone into a boarding school or she was taken in by, you know, some of the other folks from the tribe or something like that. But I just, I can't, it's just so heartbreaking. And then when they talk about um, trauma being tra- passed down through the generations, you can see why it's like, I watched my family die. We were taken from our home and we had to walk a thousand miles and I get there to this new land I'm not familiar with. And I'm sorry, but Indian territory isn't quite as beautiful as Georgia. <laughs> so it's a big difference in her life. So very interesting. This is, this is fascinating. Um, was there anything else or did I interrupt you in the middle of your? Yeah. So I, she didn't go to boarding school, but my mom did have a, a, a point about my, my grandpa Taylor. So my mother's father, he, he was the youngest of all of his siblings and he had these two beautiful braids and when he was going to school. So he didn't go to boarding school. He was just going to one of the rural schools here in Scoy County. Mm-hmm. His siblings <clears throat> told him, you're going to have to cut that hair off if you're going to go to school. And he said, I'm not doing it. And so they held him down and they snipped off one of his braids and oh. he was able to wrestle away and get away. Um, but they were, pro- they were trying to protect him, you know, right, as, as older right. siblings, you know, they knew that, you know, he couldn't, you know, take those braids to school. And so they were just going to, you know, handle business and, and do oh. it. And so he ran home and, and um, his mother was able to cut off the second braid and save it. And so my mom actually has that braid. Oh my and gosh. So we still have his little, his little baby braid <laughs> that no. he had to, that he had to give up right? And we're right. to school. Oh my gosh. It represents so much, doesn't it? It does. Um, from him getting his braid cut off so that he would be able to survive school <laughs> to you being a CEO of your company. Pretty interesting, you know? Yeah. Wow. What a, what a treasure that is to have it. Have you seen it? The braid? I have. It's so sweet. It's the prettiest Aww. hair ever. <laughs> right. <laughs> and a beautiful little ribbon. And it's amazing how long it's, it's lasted. You know, yeah. it's just, it's one of those things that is really special. You know, and my dad actually is, is, was in possession of a, of a belt that came over on the trail of tears with our family. Hmm. And it's, it's, it's a treasure. It's, it's truly special. And, um, you know, we, we keep those things very sacred and very, um, protected, you know, for us, because those are things that our family, um, made it through with, you know, and that we're able to carry forward so that our children know, you know, where they've come from and can continue to, uh, tell their story to, to future generations, 
but also at the same time, right, we don't have to, we can take responsibility for ourselves today. You know, yes. we, we don't, you know, our, like I said earlier, you know, our ancestors often had the options of terrible decision A, terrible decision B, or right. sometimes terrible decision C, right? right. Which of the bad and decisions do you want to take? It, well, yeah. I mean, because we just weren't afforded any better opportunity for a choice. And so today, right, you know, just because something happened in our past, you know, doesn't mean that that's something that we have to carry forward. You know, we can take responsibility and choose to heal and choose to work towards that healing. Right. I mean, absolutely. Ancestral trauma is real hundred percent. That's not what I'm saying, but what I'm saying is that, you know, when we consciously take a moment to acknowledge that and to make changes in our lives and help to make changes for others that we can little by little write our ship. Absolutely. And isn't that what our ancestors would want? You know, Absolutely. It's like, hey, we went through all of this. Thank you for acknowledging what we went through. Now go make something of yourself. Because <laughs> I mean, honestly, if you, a, a good case here is if you constantly only focused on the bad stuff that happened, you honestly probably wouldn't be where you are today. If you get, if your only focus in life is the trauma, which again, I'm so glad we recognize it and, and we honor our ancestors and what they went through, but if it holds us down, then that's, that's not the purpose of recognizing the trauma. So, um, way to be an example of, of that. Was there anything else on, on Elisa's sheet there? Oh, there's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have plenty of time. It's just up to you, whatever you want to share. Speaking of traumas and rules, right? My mom gave this list of don'ts that she grew up with Hmm. and they are, don't mention the stomp grounds or location. Wow. Don't tell people you are Cherokee. Don't mention Indian medicine. And she gives a story about how when she was a child, she had several warts on her hands and her mom, her mom, uh, my, my non-native grandmother who that's a whole story in and of itself, how, um, let's just use the word disappointed. Her father was that my grandmother chose to marry a Cherokee. Um, that, like I said, is pretty put very, very lightly, oh, man. um, that, that her mother took her to a local doctor who started cutting into them and then took acid and then Ooh. tried to tried to you know, eradicate the warts and that the pain was so great that she just couldn't take anymore. Aww. And then the next day, um, her dad, my, my grandpa Taylor took her and performed Indian medicine and the warts fell off. Oh my gosh. That. Yeah. So, you know, we, you know, we see this, this ability to heal. Right. And that's what my mom, my mother, you know, has specialized in is, mm-hmm. is helping others to heal, you know, and that, that experience that she had, you know, she's carried forward and helped others heal. And, um, we can, we can work on healing ourselves and we can realize that that medicine is still within us and we just have to activate it. Wow. Very profound. So you mentioned that your, uh, it was your grandpa or your great grandpa wasn't very happy with the choice of marrying a Cherokee, which we hear that so often. And can you imagine 
times like sitting around the holiday table (laughs) and that awkwardness of, you know, I hope, I hope they didn't make her husband feel too terrible about himself, but it's gotta be awkward. It was awful. And the things that my great grandfather said are a little too shocking for me to even say out loud today, you know, I mean, it's just, it's like the, the racism was so thick and, you know, that was a, just, that was a different period in the world. Um, Not to say that racism is fully eradicated. It is not, but it, it, it was in that context of that period of time, you know, it was pretty normal. And mom tells a story about a cousin of hers on, on the, the Roland side of the family, which is the the white side of the family, that she was in grade school and that she had a classmate uh, that her mom or dad told her that that was her cousin. And she goes to school the next day and says, you're my cousin. And the girl was like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Oh my God. And, you know, <laughs> she was not going to have a Cherokee as a cousin. Oh you my know? gosh. So, Isn't that nuts? No, I don't blame you. Nope. No, get away from me. Not my cousin. Do not tell anyone you are my cousin. And I mean, that's just, you know, God love it. Like I grew up with a whole bunch of wonderful cousins, but I couldn't imagine that. It's so you know? sad. It's, it's really, it is. And, and that's, and that's what I'm just, you know, so proud of, of, you know, who we are today, right, is, Mm -hmm. is, is a family that, um, you know, it doesn't have those issues and that my son doesn't have to grow up in a similar situation to that, that the times that have changed and, but we have to be continually progressive about making sure that that continues to to happen. Totally. And, you know, I've always said, if you're going to be a racist against Native Americans, don't live in Oklahoma. You've picked the worst place to live because, <laughs> you know, that's the biggest majority of Native Americans. That's where they live. So, um, yeah, God, come a long way. That's for sure. Long way to go, but definitely have come a long way. What else you got? Well, there's a couple of native nonprofits that I would just like to give a shout out to if possible. Yes, please. Awesome. So I am currently serving as the chairwoman for the Native American Rights Fund, which is the oldest nonprofit legal services firm to Indian country. And I'm just so proud of the work that they do. They just celebrated their 52nd anniversary and they are just, you know, killing it in, in the legal world on behalf of Indian country. And so I'm really grateful to be a part of them. I also recently joined the board for the Smithsonian National Museum of the American Indian, and they are embarking on a massive fundraising campaign to support the museum and its efforts and its um, preservation and repatriation of collections that um, have been amassed over nearly 100 years at this point. And so um, two very, very significant institutions within Indian country that I'm glad to be a part of and that I'm glad that you let me have a moment to shout them out. Absolutely. And so I'm going to be sure to post the websites for these wonderful causes that Lacey has mentioned. So the Native American Rights Fund, where she is the chairwoman, as well as the National Museum of the American Indian 
the Smithsonian Museum there in DC. So you're on the board of that. So super exciting that you're doing these great things. I kind of wish I could know the inside scoop of all that cool stuff going on with preservation there. Um, so thank you so much for sharing about your company and your success, which came with a lot of hard work and about your family history. I mean, not many people know that much history back at the time of the actual Trail of Tears and not only that, but but you know, the kind of the personal story of some of your family members, super interesting. Um, and finally, before we close, are there any words of wisdom you'd like to share with our fellow women out there? I'd like to share with my fellow women out there that I hope that they are you. Be the CEO of You Inc. Be the best you you can be and work at it and take responsibility for it. Know your strengths and your weaknesses and those likes and dislikes and know that you're put here for a reason, for a purpose, and that we all get down. But like our ancestors, we survive and we pick ourselves back up. We thrive and we make the absolute most and best of every circumstance and choice and gift that we are given. That's fantastic. So the takeaway is be the CEO of You Inc. I love that. I'm going to take that to heart myself. So Yakoki Lacey, for your time and for blazing a trail that we can all look to for inspiration. Thank you. The Choctaw Nation has always provided a foundation upon which a future can be built. From our home in Southeast Oklahoma to a bingo hall that grew to be one of the largest casinos in the world. Today's summer school programs lay the groundwork for a love of learning. Small business programs support local economies. And with over 10,000 jobs created, Choctaw offers financial. Thanks for listening to Native Choctaw. Be sure to join our community on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Simply search for Native Chalk Talk. That's Native, C-H-O-C-T-A-L-K. And check us out at nativechalktalk.com. Stay tuned for the next episode. You're going to love it. Yakoki. Thank you, my friends. <laughs>